Cards on the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Welcome back to episode 49 of On the Table Gaming. So one of our scheduled guests at the last minute couldn't make it, and so uh, luckily one of my longtime friends, Brian, is able to come on and talk to us about gaming and just in general. We talk about a few topics on this episode about, you know, what keeps people into gaming, and I talked to him to get an outsider perspective on some of the unique challenges I think A Song of Ice and Fire is facing at this time. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And without further ado, Brian, thanks thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. And so I've actually known you for a long time. So we, we yeah. have some uh, some similar gaming overlap. But common thing we'll do is we'll ask people who come on the podcast just a little bit about their gaming background. Because a lot of times uh, the different perspectives people have are really influenced by the games they've liked to play or other interests they've had. Uh, so, you know... What's kind of your your gaming uh, background, your your gaming story? Yep, sure. Uh, well, Chase and I have a, you know, I <laughs> feel like the first thing I seriously played, a serious war game, was uh, uh, Warhammer 40,000, um, and later to become also Warhammer. Um, and Chase and I have been playing since, what, the sixth grade, fifth grade? Yeah, something like uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, sorry, sorry, seventh grade. Seventh. We've been playing for, for a long time, that was like, Third edition, before third edition for Warhammer 4000? Uh, I was just on a Game of Ice and Fire podcast, and they were talking about this, and I was like, yeah, well, you know, we stopped playing uh, Warhammer 40K with the edition change. <laughs> like, what edition? It's like, oh, yeah, we played second edition, and when third edition came out, we were like, <laughs> no, we're not touching it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's funny about the game store, you know, talking to people and being like, you know, they're talking about Warhammer, and they're like, yeah, what, what edition? It's like, yeah. Third edition sounds what? Oh, that's like 99, 98. It's like, yeah. that's, uh, well, I still have that that old copy of Rogue Trader, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's a whole other story for another time. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, I, I think that will come up in the discussion today be, just because it's sort of a, kind of a, our first experience with the, the kind of yeah. know, shift in the game, the shift in games like this. After, you know, what we played till 2002, 2001, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... After that, I'm not, let's see, I didn't play many war games. I was mostly playing just Magic. That was sort of the big game that I kept on, you know, coming back to and playing with friends. And then later on, a lot later on, I picked up War Machine, I think, when you actually yeah. brought it up. Oh, sorry, also Dungeons and Dragons, that's another thing. But yeah, role-playing games, things like that. Casual. I remember at one point playing that, there was like a Warhammer card game. Not the one that's out now, oh, but it yes. was uh, like a Warhammer 40k card game. Yeah, that was actually a very good card. I really liked that card game. It was very, I mean, we didn't play it for a while, but I remember, you know, it seemed like a very novel and different uh, approach to a card game. And I actually have found that Games Workshop have produced very, at least I've only played a couple, but the, the last one I tried at uh, the PAX uh, Unplugged was also another interesting card game that hmm. people played very differently. And was... I'll have to check that one out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't really played it since, but when I played it at the convention, they were, you know, it was kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, so uh, not too long ago. How long ago was that, do you think, that we started playing War Machine? Or we it was in like, second edition. Purchases? And then Vendor got big again with, uh, you know, Mark III kind of changed things up. Yeah. And you're still going strong. Yes, yes. So, yeah, I mean, we we played a little Mark II years and years and years ago. Um and I, I don't think we ever really picked that up too much. And then I forget why I decided to play War, like why War Machine came back. I don't know if it's even with Mark III. I think that was, but that's when it really sort of I, 
we can can we we can acknowledge here that I think War Machine checks a few boxes for you. It's got your big machines. You've got your oh uh... yeah yeah. It's got it's got the appropriate factions, which I feel like is actually a challenge for me to getting into other uh, you know uh, things like Legion and Song of Ice and Fire. They don't necessarily have my monstrous factions that I want. Right. <laughs> they don't have my you know unholy monstrosities and. You know, undead. So you'd be one of the people that would want to wait for like the others or some sort of White Walker faction to actually be a thing, even though perhaps. in the books we haven't seen that anything like that yet, really. <laughs> yeah, but perhaps. You're, I don't know. Grumpkins and Starks, you know. Perhaps I don't know how the uh, the White Walkers would be balanced, but uh, we do yeah. actually have a cool fan faction when somebody made around like corpse piles, where like the more stuff dies, the more powerful they can get, and they can like kind of expend those tokens. Yeah, but it's all fan fa- fan faction. Not not yeah. official, but it's been playing for a long time, kind of enjoying it. Now, what I always enjoyed, for me, I always really got, like, more heavily into theme first, where I feel like you were often more someone who was looking at, like, interesting game mechanics. Yeah, I you know, I never really got, I didn't really follow the lore that closely. Um, I, you know, I'm the, at the same time, you know, I was interested in just general, like, you know, unit design and model design and stuff like that. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, Tyranids was my army of choice in Warhammer. And then I tried, like, Chaos in, in original Warhammer Fantasy and then uh, moving on to Undead later. But, uh, yeah, I just sort of generally went with, you know, the theme. Of, I like the general theme of the army, but I never really dove too far deep into the lore. So one of the things I wanted to talk about today, then, is, you know, uh, sustainability in gaming. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times just from the like keeping up with it, uh, war games themselves have a sort of like built in, like keeping up with the Joneses component where oftentimes yeah. they're like kind of these frequent releases of new units. And, uh, you know, there's not, maybe not pressure, but there is part of the game and maybe part of the fun of the game, too, is also just keeping up with the new things. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like we both have maybe played certain games that we've mo- moved away from or maybe even come back to later. Um, but, you know, when I talk about sustainability in gaming, like, I don't know, what kind of comes to mind for you personally? And what's your been, your experience been with, uh, you know, staying engaged with a game? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I feel like, you know, the, you know, I, I think this is always sort of the default. Everyone's like, oh, well, everything should be balanced. And I think that's def- definitely a, something that keeps it from being being discouraged by the game where you feel like, you know, you you don't want the marketing the you know business demands of a business to interfere too much with the playability of a game mm-hmm. like you don't want them to you know just print money effectively when they've come out with <laughs> new units because new units are much better than the old units and stuff like that um and that's sort of you know originally what i think discouraged us we stopped with 40k at least and also sort of the radical changes in the rules um but uh yeah, um, I mean, I guess that's that's sort of one element. Yeah, because I think back then, especially Warhammer games, were not known for their their balance. No, I mean, <laughs> I don't know nowadays if, if if that's the way of it either. So, is it basically being able to come back to a game that you're playing that maybe seems like it's changing, but it's nothing like too dramatic, right? It's not like a whole new rules overhaul, mm-hmm. and the new units coming out add interesting elements to it, but at the same time, don't kind of break the established foundations or yeah. you know invalidate the things you've already purchased yeah so you've been you've been playing war machine now and you're getting much more competitive with it um well. <laughs> how has it been well you're doing some tournaments more and and uh how has that been keeping your attention now, i know in for those of you that don't follow war machine 
Um, they have like a development cycle um, where uh, it gets a lot of feedback on their units. Does that factor in at all and help and keep the game interesting to you? Yeah, definitely. And But one thing I find, you know, good about any game and what kind of engages you is actually not the new stuff necessarily, but actually going back to the old stuff. I feel like if you are, if you can sort of make a tweak to something or add a new, uh, you know, model or whatnot that adds a new element to it, it lets, gives you a chance to look back at, back at old stuff and be like, oh, wow, okay. Now th with this new unit type or whatever, all this old stuff suddenly has so much more use or has a completely different application. So I think that new stuff does uh, is great to enhance the game, but I think it, it it's as it's a, at its best when it's actually enhancing the existing stuff. And so that's something that's sort of built into the Asung of Ice and Fire model, uh, where you have your unit boxes and then you have your commander boxes that will give you like five new commanders with all their cards, their abilities. They usually synergize well with certain types of units or have like a different play style. And mm -hmm. it's always hard when we're giving like recommendations. People are like, I want to get started in the game. Like I bought my starter set. Like what's the next thing I should buy? And mm -hmm. oftentimes people will be like, buy a hero box because suddenly you're going to play what you have in like a ton of different ways. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you buy another unit and you keep playing the, the two commanders you come with and you, you learn to play them well and you, you build up from there. But I feel like that's like another lever that for Song of Ice and Fire that they can pull to try and keep people interested. Mm -hmm. um, but even that is kind of a slippery slope. And I, I wonder at like some point, is game bloat just like inevitable? Like you can only add so many other characters like that to expand a game. And I don't think A Song of Ice and Fire is anywhere near there yet. It's such a young game. Sure, sure. Uh, but that's such a clear lever that can be like toggled. I wonder down the line, you know, what does it look like four years from now? Um, yeah. When it's like, you know, we have, you know, a ton of hero boxes and there's all these different things you can adjust. Yeah. Does it become overwhelming? Yeah. Do you feel like that happens in other game systems you play? Definitely. And I think that all those games, the systems sort of develop, the games develop a way to deal with it. You know, Magic has its sort of standard versus legacy, modern, all that set to basically split things up and make sure you're you're playing with a lesser set of elements, a lesser set of, you know, game pieces. Uh, in, in War Machine, they have their themes, which basically split your army into sort of sub-armies. So you, you sort of have broken down you're not you know in an army you don't have a full range of every model in the unit you'll have most likely some subset that kind of go works well together along with sort of some unique abilities to that theme that will you know add add to them and sort of make compensate for the limitation does the those sort of compensations you know do you feel like that makes just playing like not in theme not viable so for example Song of Ice and Fire is still really young. Uh, Lannisters have your like, kind of standard Lannister forces, but then we have like the High Sparrow and like the Faith Militant and uh, the Poor Fellows, these sort of like fanatical elements, which kind of is like a sub section of the, of the, of the faction. Mm -hmm. And you can mix all these things together. Now, would a theme for this maybe look like then you'd, you'd have some sort of benefit or restriction and you'd only want to choose stuff that fit within that thematic value and there would be some sort of incentive to play. Mm -hmm. Does that make it, you know, is there a concern that, that something like that would maybe, while benefiting playing certain units, like does it just invalidate other forces and like maybe take away from the creativity of list building? That's hard to say. There are some lists that are, or rather themes that are 
you know, potentially more limiting or just mm -hmm. have a sort of very small subset. And, you know, I feel like if you look at sort of the tournament play, those scenes aren't really played at all. So that's sort of a subset of units that aren't played, that don't see much action. But that could all change. And, you know, you have a CAD that sort of enhances each theme. Um, basically, you know, development cycle, just adding new units to that theme. And suddenly, you know, that that fundamentally changes. And now you're reexamining what you had in that. So, sure, there. I think there's definitely themes that go have lulls. And there's some themes that, like, have clear benefits that, you know, more concrete benefits and others that have less concrete benefits. benefits. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, in list building, it's not necessarily completely limiting. It just sort of kind of creates this discrete kind of toggle, you know, discrete set of decisions you have to make and then all the mini decisions kind of build off of that. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. So it's like, is it for a game to grow and like sustainably grow? Does it just need to have enough? toggle points that you can make those adjustments then yeah yeah like so hopefully. themes or some sort of element like that of, of list building lets you add other incentives to take other units mm -hmm. uh, different commanders i know in war machine you have those war casters we've got those in a song of ice and fire um the other thing then in a really big one for a song of ice and fire is the scenarios the game modes and they're actually in the process of uh teasing a future 1.5 scenario update um and so we're in this kind of weird spot where most of the community is still playing 1.4 they have put out like the beta versions of 1.5 there's a lot of people playing kind of uh the new stuff but also some people playing the old stuff and uh but is at least the promise of change of scenarios you know does that help with sustainability do you do you find like uh for other game systems you might play when you know new changes are coming down the line, is that just another thing that keeps you excited and like hooked into the game? Yeah, definitely. And actually with the new release, one thing they did recently, which was a pretty good idea with War Machine was, you know, as we were talking about, the themes are limiting. They, the themes also were sort of pushing you towards like rewarding you effectively for picking a certain type of units that are mm -hmm. fit in that theme. So, you know, you, you have sort of a division of like your heavy, you know, armor warjacks, as they call them, a war machine. Um, and then you have your infantry. And the themes used to push you to say, okay, you have to have a certain number of points of inf infantry to get these rewards, like get basically free models. Mm -hmm. In the recent version, they now remove that restriction. Now they say, depending on the size of the battle that you're playing, you get a certain number of free things. You're still limited to the units that you have in that theme, but you can play it however you want in terms of what's in that subset. So you never discouraged, you weren't, you're now not discouraged to play, you know, maybe there's certain casters that are better with heavy, you know, warjacks uh, um, than they are with infantry. Now you can sort of try those casters in these themes that were at one point not sort of, you know, that were more infantry focused. Now still focus on infantry, but allow, give you some, you know, don't discourage you from taking these, you know, heavier units. So say they nail it now. Now you have like maximum flexibility in your list building in these themes. If they were like, this is going to stay the same for forever. Mm -hmm. Would that impact your enjoyment of the game? Do you think, or do you think they've hit this sweet spot or do you think they just, they have to have some sort of update or change in a, a year? Yeah. You definitely want changes. You definitely don't want things to get stale. Um, and 
to definitely, especially because you're sort of keeping up with the meta, you can, you know, the meta kind of is constantly changing. And I imagine, you know, adding new units is a way to sort of kind of deal with the meta. You see what's the most powerful thing as, you know, as developers of the game and realize, okay, well, you know, now there's some holes in dealing with these popular metas and these certain factions or certain themes. If I add a unit that somewhat adapts to it, that somewhat, you know, fills that gap, then, you know, maybe these themes that no one are playing and now some, suddenly, you know, face a resurgence of, you know, popularity um, and competitive, you know, just general competitive edge. Yeah, I wonder. So one of the weird things about A Song of Ice and Fire is it really draws like a, re- a wide net of players. Uh, and so we've done, done some polls in the past, but, you know, up to a quarter of players maybe have never played a war game before. And they're coming from like a board game background or in some cases from a card game background. Uh, but I think more towards the board game group, uh, those players are sometimes the more vocal ones about concerns over the game changing. And uh, does it imply that there are problems with the game if things need to be changed? That it wasn't as like well thought out if, you know, now we're getting new scenarios. Why were the scenarios not right the first time or something like that? Hmm. Um you think, I mean, that's basically just a, a lack of familiarity with wargaming, and that's just like these changes are inevitable, and they it's a sign of a healthy game. Sure, yeah. I mean, with with I, I imagine most of those new wargamers have also played, you know, potentially a bunch of different competitive multiplayer games and whatnot on, you know. Right. Online, okay, whatever. that's a great comparison, yeah. And, you know, like we play a bit of you know, Heroes of the Storm, um, that game just changes all the time and they just keep on tweaking and it's great. And the, the, you know, I mean, the advantage of that computer games have video games have over, you know, any strategy game is if, if the rules change, they, you know, your, your end user, you know, they'll have to maybe change their strategy a little, but they don't also have to completely where we learn new things. Those changes aren't just optional and you're always going to be playing by the new, with new mechanics and new rules um, versus, you know, there's sort of a the challenge of okay, introducing more information, new, all, all the things that as a player of you know any sort of tabletop war game, you know, you suddenly now have to learn about, um, discover, and unfortunately, hopefully, not discover it sort of mid-game or something when you're right. you know, suddenly a unit has a completely new ability or it's so much more powerful than you thought it was before. So, um, but yeah, I think that's part of that is being able to just sort of distribute that information, which is you know helpful is possible made possible uh a lot by, or at least that information is better disseminated by sort of having a centralized app that like keeps people aware of any changes and you know has all the stats and rules and everything in there and allowing them to push the, that information to the user and that with that to that medium and i think for a song of ice and fire one of the things that's been helpful with that is they've uh, they have an app kind of like um uh war room for War Machine, they have the War Council app. And uh, Fabio Curry, the lead developer, and uh, the tech guys over at Come On Games, they've done a really great job of like listening to people's feedback and trying to like consistently update the app to make it as user-friendly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but they recently, or not too recently, but a few updates ago, they added in like all the rule books, game modes, the FAQs, everything is in the app itself. So you can just find, it's like your one-stop shop for any clarifications. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that'll help when uh, we are moving forward with new updates and keeping it so that the player base is like all playing 
essentially the same game and it doesn't become like kind of fractured but you know i wonder too uh, sometimes people talking about the game is like releasing too much too fast or not enough not fast enough mm. typically we're seeing like you know a couple of units every month uh but maybe not not every faction's getting something sure. um but as someone who's like you know uh got a somewhat long gaming background and and different stages of li- life where uh you know our incomes have definitely changed and when we were playing in like middle school versus now uh, there, you know, we can we can afford more. Sure. Do you think like what's a what's a sustainable like a release schedule look like to you? Like, do you think there's like an optimal uh, releasing timing that should it be like one thing every month, quarters? Do you think it's generally better for the state of a game to have like stuff trickle out or have kind of mass releases? It's hard to say in terms of beta tests or you know testing new changes. I'm sure it's easier for them to just, just sort of trickle out and go through these stages where they, you know, have an isolated change to a faction or a theme or what have you, a list, type of list, and just test that thoroughly, both with the users and internally, just so you're not mutating the game too much and wildly swinging sort of the balance of the game. But yeah, it's also kind of discouraging as a game, you know, if, if you play a faction and not seeing anything happen with your faction for some time, do you have... 10 different factions they release one a month you you potentially have to wait nine months or so to right. before you get to, to see any changes 10 months to, think, before you see any changes to your uh your faction and seeing also sort of the interesting things happen with other factions and not yours it just can be potentially discouraging <laughs> i think that's kind of what happened to me when i was playing war machine was uh the theme thematically that i really liked you know the style of player the look of the miniatures um mm-hmm. the next big like update for the faction was going to be like in like six months or something. Yeah. But it was focusing on like a completely different sub faction than what I played. Yeah. Like, so I like very hyper focused on like getting specific models. And I was like, Oh, but none of those are going to get addressed. So I was like, Oh, yeah. and then when that happens, I'll have to wait, you know, almost through all the factions for it to like cycle back around to us again. Sure. Uh, and it's sort of like, you know, that the desire kind of got deferred almost too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I think we're, the problem we're having right now, for me, at least in A Song of Ice and Fire, and you wouldn't do this with any traditional war game, but I think in my position, I try to cover it as much as I can, is that stuff is releasing now a little... It's starting to get kind of challenging for me to keep up with. Now, I don't expect someone to collect like every faction of a game, but in the <laughs> beginning, you could, for the price range for A Song of Ice and Fire, for the number of things coming out, it was pretty easy to do that. It's, this is a low-cost game relative mm-hmm. to other war games. Uh, mm-hmm. But now it's starting to get to that point where it's like, oh man, like I got to make some choices here. I guess I'm not getting these. And like, maybe I got to drop this faction and just focus on this one. But, you know, at the, and the, the flip side of that is that we had this situation with Gen Con where the Baratheons got an early release for people that attended, but it was like extremely limited. So some people have their hands on that. They're making battle reports. It's out there in the wild. People know all the stats for that entire faction, but it's not even here yet. It's not mm-hmm. going to be here until like the end of October. Mm-hmm. And it seems like people are still excited for it, but it's it the general feeling, and I'm talking about like an amorphous thing here, but the community feeling seems to be like people are already kind of looking past it. Like it's already old news and it's not even here yet. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like we're missing this like, huge things coming that we should be like, this is one of the most sought after after factions. People are already being like, well, you know, past that in January, that's the Targaryens, and people are already kind of looking beyond the scope of what's coming down the pipeline sure uh, and i worry does that impact you know people's interest in a game and and uh maybe maybe early releases aren't the way to go like this in such limited numbers 
don't know. But, but I imagine with that faction, you know, it, it's one thing to know the stats and another thing to actually get a chance to play with it and see it in action. Um, and I'm not sure if there are a lot of people just sort of proxying and playing it. Right. Or, or you know, and I guess it won't hurt their sales. I mean, I think people are still going to buy it and get it. Yeah. It's just that because there's nothing left to talk about it. Well, there's but like a lull, you're, like you're playing it, you'll yeah. see the difference. You know, you'll right. all the sort of real strategies will emerge, and you'll see it. So, um, you know, maybe having it sort of lingering for so long, uh, such a you know, tr- is there? I guess do people generally sort of do? In your experience, experience, you think that people are like proxying it and playing it right now? So it's super easy to proxy units in this game because it's just a tray. You could put, you know, meeples in the tray and like just slide it around or pennies and <laughs> it would work. Um, yeah. Usually it's the cards that like the tactics cards that make it a little bit trickier. Mm-hmm. But I guess I could probably proxy a, a neutral commander and use the neutral tactics card and then take Baratheon forces with them and, and make it work. And, mm-hmm. and I guess if you're really into it, those hardcore Baratheon players, they may have just printed out the cards mm-hmm. and are playing proxy games um mm-hmm. but for me it's more just like in the that community space like the energy level dip is kind of like this weird thing sure. where you know it's sort of this the wind got sucked out of the sails a little bit and you're just like huh like what does this mean yeah but maybe not the end of the world i think partially too it's just such a young game sure. that like any small things like this it's always like this is like the first time this has really happened or yeah. You know, we've had things that have gotten delayed in the past. We're like, oh, we had a month where like nothing came out, but people were still just like, you know, they were more like every day talking about like, man, I can't believe we don't have this yet. Like, I'm so excited for this. Yeah. And uh, I feel like we had that, but it was like last month. And now it's like, it's so close to being here. And people are just like, well, yep, I guess we're just sitting here. Hmm. But depending on the competitive scene and how often, you know, there's, sort of tournaments and mm-hmm. is that you know i think as soon as that army's released though suddenly you know seeing it in action is going to probably kind of bring that swell back that's so true the question is how long is there sort of this lull between us announced and released where you know people aren't playing about it because in war machine what i see with sort of cids is people will it, you know they've they've there are a lot that actually they they, they, they do take a while um, I remember playing someone, you know, maybe a month back, maybe more, uh, who was playing the CID army, um, or rather CID sort of faction with a lot of new models that are proxied. And just to be clear, stuff. CID is community and development. They're yes. like kind of like a beta testing stuff there, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. They're letting people try it out and report, you know, show their findings, do battle reports so they can, you know, let the community kind of know but let the community tell them that if there are anything that appear to be, you know, imbalanced with it or wrong um, or underpowered even. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's been a while since it's taken them a while. I, I'm not exactly sure how long um, to get this, some of these changes out. Um, but I imagine, you know, I, there's a lot of, in the competitive community, there's sort of a lot of preparation, a lot of like, mm-hmm. you know, n- knowing that this stuff's going to come out, it's, you know, kind of, other factions can sort of either predict a shift in the meta or, you know, what have you, throw some new things in their list to sort of adapt. But as soon as it comes out, it's going to, you know, completely change the competitive environment. Now, do you play a lot of CID games? Not really. Uh, I don't, I'm not even part of the CID. Okay. Uh, 
some, but I, I played against other people who do. Who have so that. a, that's one of the problems I was recently talking with someone about <clears throat> that I'm sort of uh, perpetrating and I'm like sort of questioning now is I'm, since I want to like do podcasts or report on like the new stuff coming out uh, when they have like, hey, here's the, the beta version of like the, the, the upcoming rules for a scenario that's going to be released in like December or January. Like I want to be playing it and testing it out and being like, oh, what's going on with that? So when I go into my local scenes, I'm often being like, hey, I want to play like the newest new thing. Let's do this. But it's sort of like I'm actually like putting a wedge into the group. We have some people playing like the old, not the old stuff. We're having some play people playing the stuff that is current. Mm -hmm. And then we have some people that are just playing the like 1.5 future stuff. Mm -hmm. and I start to worry like, am I, am I splitting this faction? Am I splitting the community and like, you know, basically playing two different versions of the game? It's just mm -hmm. hard for me because like I play some changes and I'm like, these changes are awesome. Like, I don't want to go back and play the other way. Sure. Um, and so like now I have like a much less incentive to go out to some tournaments when I'm like, oh, they're playing like, the old Feast for Crow scenarios. Like, I really didn't like that. I like the new one. And so now I'm just kind of waiting for those to become live. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess, you know, these are all self-inflicted. Like, oh, poor me. Uh, my my life is so tough that I, <laughs> this is my the problem I've got going on right now. But you know, something that I do worry about. Mm -hmm. So I was just curious, you know, if you find yourself playing the current rules for your game system more than, you know, trying out the newest hotness. Yeah, I, I feel like there's nine out of 10 games are playing the current. Okay. Out of 10. So it's, it, you know, it's interesting. It lets you sort of get a glimpse into what's coming. And, you know, it's also the community. We've got a, the, right here where we play, there's a pretty good group of people that we have that you can get all sorts of games in when you want, want to. That's the final piece then really is like, we're talking about like sustainable gaming and what keeps people in gaming and, and, and uh, coming back for more. Um, how much of War Machine do you think is the game? And how much of it do you think in the end for you is, is like the actual community piece? Well, they definitely sort of influence each other. Like the, the game itself sort of dictates the kind of people that want to play it, right? So, you know, most of the people play uh, War Machine are, rep, kind of, are older, um, mm -hmm. I think. Because we have that for a song of ice and fire too actually skews a bit older too i just want like my youtube statistics i feel like is it possible that it's just war gaming is like an an older person game um you know i know i think warm uh, uh 40k and stuff like that is really trying to bring in younger players yeah but I, maybe you know maybe is it war gaming as a hobby is just a um a bigger thing for your 30 40 50 year olds uh, yeah, perhaps it's it's yeah. I really cannot speak to that in terms of <laughs> what what the kids nowadays are into. All I know is the the kids these days aren't watching YouTube videos, listening to the podcast. It's all like a strictly older uh, viewership. So, but just out of curiosity, since I mean, you, as a teacher, you have more insight into this than I That's do. That's true. Uh, what what do you see? I mean, because they're definitely playing more games, right? Yes, uh, so many more games. I mean, obviously, video games, mobile games are huge. There's actually uh, a lot of kids that play card games. Um, yeah. Keyforge and Magic are the big ones. You know, we I run a school gaming club, and most of the kids at the school are not playing war games, tabletop war games. There was a little bit of interest in X-Wing, but those things came pre-painted. Mm -hmm. um, I think the more assembly there is involved in it i think on um, there seems to be just in my experience a little bit more hesitancy to get into it yeah um because i you know wargaming isn't just like playing mobile games or 
you know, oh. even magic cards, like you can buy your box, like, you know, full disclosure here, Song of Ice and Fire Adventures game is a really, you know, cheap game to play as a war game, but you buy your miniatures and then you've got to buy your paints. You got to buy primer. And so you're like, oh, this is like, you know, I get a lot of miniatures for this price, but you might spend equal or more to that in just paints if you're starting up. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big discouraging factor for, for kids. Um, yeah. But you I mean, go online, you look at YouTube videos and, and wargaming channels and like typically older dudes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely, there's all sorts of investment. I don't know, you know, as, when we were growing up, I think, doing like models was a little a little more popular but maybe mm -hmm. who knows who can say <laughs> in our circle are we are we yeah, in the popular modeling club <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh but uh you know so that 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 separately from war game was that was maybe a little more popular or at least something that mm -hmm. kids did uh so there's a sort of two elements but yeah in general as a game proceeds or rather with any game like this there's investment, and that's actually one thing I sort of struggle with is like, okay, you know, you feel invested in your unit, like in your models, your armies, you know, you, it's not just you putting together, just, you know, randomly pulling elements from, you know, anywhere, and then just sort of having the investment of just, oh, I've put the thing together, it's now, oh, I've painted them, I bought them, I've glued them together. You know, you, you sort of are, making more of a commitment to it and there's sort of more of a I, I've spent all this time to build to paint this really awesome model that looks cool and does all this stuff and you you want that model to do well on on the on the table. You know we're I'm still trying to get you fully into a song of ice and fire here. So I think last we talked you were kind of holding out still you've been you've been using some of my stuff. You played some Night's Watch games. If you were hypothetically to jump into a song of ice and fire, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that when you jump into a song of ice and fire uh what what faction you know what house faction group from a song of ice and fire would you be kind of excited to play as uh that's a good question i mean i feel like I, you don't have your monsters right so what's yeah, your what's the next monsters. best thing i need my monstrous you know army to i need we the free folk do have giants but they're yeah, kind of like a horde yeah, army and um, then you know there are potentially down the line dragons yeah, but they're not monster enough, monstrous enough, you know. <laughs> there is the mountain. He is quite a monster. That's true. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Maybe uh, I mean, three folk might be interesting. What with the the thin and all, they're kind of monster. Yeah, they look cool. I know um, you've liked your in the past. You played some sort of like vampire count style, where it's like you got your weaker units with a few cool like elite things. Yeah. We have some dynamics like that you can kind of recapture. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a possibility. All right. Well, we're going to have to get you into that. And you know, thanks for coming on and chatting. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And in, until next time, I hope you get your miniatures on the table. <laughs>